0: Welcome in to episode 127 of the Sources Say podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the Growing KSR Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio. Very happy to be joined once again by the one and only Sean Smith of Go Big Blue Country. Sean,
1: how the heck are you? Doing good, Jack. How are you?
0: Well, I uh, was doing quite fine until we got our uh, significant news today that CJ Frederick will miss the remainder of the season after undergoing uh, hamstring surgery, uh, a a brand new injury, something completely unrelated to his uh, other leg issue that he was dealing with. So quite an absolute blow. But Sean, before we get into the action, talking about the injury and kind of what it means, and then... Uh, obviously, the game itself and, and kind of a breakdown of that. I wanted to tell our incredible sources, say listeners, about our friends at Bet. QL daily sponsored by fanduel now i'm just starting to dip my toes into the world of sports betting tossing a few bucks here and there throughout the week just to add a little bit of spice to the games i'd be watching anyway after being completely out of the loop in this realm i found betql daily sponsored by fanduel and it has been an absolute blast following along with the experts understand where the market is moving which smart bets are out there and have some fun listening while you're at it betql daily sponsored by fanduel is the must listen show for sports bettors and sports fans alike. Host Joe Ostrowski, Joe Giglio, and Aaron Hawksworth serve up Wagertainment, the sports talk you love with the betting insights you need each weekday. Find out where the market is moving across all the week's biggest sporting events. Miss out on earlier games? BetQL Daily has you covered there too, with recaps from some of the biggest recent moments In sports, if you're not sure where to start with sports betting, start with BetQL Daily, presented by FanDuel. Listen, weekdays, 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Odyssey, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Sean, uh, let's jump right into this news that uh, just kind of hit our feeds as we were getting ready to get rolling. Thank goodness that we didn't jump into the podcast earlier because we'd have to have a little breaking news segment in the middle of it. So, CJ Frederick. After seeing him enter the arena last night in crutches, uh, you heard on the pregame radio show, Tom Leach said something to the effect of a a hamstring issue after the game. Coach Cal said that uh, it was a a lingering hamstring issue and uh, that he would be out for a bit and didn't clarify how long that would be anything of that sort. So here we are middle of the day on Saturday and CJ Frederick is now apparently out for the season, Sean. That's, uh, uh, quite the blow for Kentucky's long-term uh, uh, season kind of expectations.
1: It, it's deflating. It's it's not only deflating for for CJ. It's deflating for the fans because you're already seeing how good this team can shoot the basketball, and I, I still think that their best shooter sidelined with an injury, and and that's saying something because this team is full of really good shooters. Uh, I hate it because it's a it's a kid that essentially I, I know in a way was coming back home. I mean, it's coming to a place where. His family was going to get to watch him play more often. He was going to be from right up the road, uh, a place where he's had success as a basketball player, and now he has to wait even longer. And I know it's it's going to be hard. It's, it's going to be a mental battle now because you're, you've you had the injury issues at Iowa. You, you think you get those things cleaned up during the offseason, and now you have this. And uh, we, we really don't know how long that timetable is going to be, but it's just a fleeting news.
0: Yeah, and that's that, that's kind of the story of it all is, is just kind of how we got to this point. He arrives on campus. Um, it, you know, there was how his last injury and kind of the surgery that he had in the middle of the summer, how that all unfolded. There was a lot of kind of back and forth, and I know there was kind of some, some teasing and joking about, uh, you know, how significant the injury was, how long he would be out. Cal came out right afterward and said, oh, it's a minor procedure, no big deal whatsoever. Uh, and, you know, obviously there are other things out there saying no this was an actual legitimate you know fracture surgery that he had to get done and and all that and and looking at the timeline of it he's now been out five months four and a half five months so we're well past the point of it being a minor injury and now uh, the minor injury has turned into a very significant one, no matter how you slice it, no matter how the the initial injury happened or, or uh, the timeline of that. it's this is ah uh, it's one of those things that he had just started ramping himself up and and kind of getting his groove in practice. And uh, Sean, I, I, I don't know. Do you think that this was a you know he's overdoing it with trying to overcompensate for his, you know for for his lower leg kind of ankle foot area and kind of ends up tweaking up top of his leg or you know I, I feel like that's kind of how the, something like this would come about is is you're kind of overworking yourself to try to compensate for one area and then a, another part of your your body kind of sh- shuts down and, and crumbles so I I, I don't oh. know That's kind of just me talking out loud thinking
1: no, I, you know, I mentioned that to you before we started recording that I could see that probably playing into it. We know John Cal Perry's mentioned a couple of times, right, that he tried to go, I know back near media day, it seemed like he tried to give it a go and then he just was not ready. And then we got the the report after the game, after it was it the last exhibition game last week where Cal said he's going to practice tomorrow. So that was a week ago today. Yep. Uh, So we know that he's tried to give it a go. And and I mean, I don't want to speculate or anything that maybe his body just wasn't ready to go at the rate that he was going at. Uh, But I think that obviously it could play a factor because we know that he's not been able to do anything full speed, Jack, for a while. So we know that his body's not in the shape that it needed to be in. But it could have just been something that was just a freak accident as well. I'm sure more details will come out at some point.
0: Yeah, and this is an issue of, you know, you got to feel just sick for this kid because you talk to his family. And I I was talking a little bit with, uh, you know, CJ's uncle, who's just a fantastic guy. He's one of the all-time great shooters in Notre Notre Dame basketball history, Joe. Um, You know, we talk fairly regularly, and he was, um, you, you know, I think there was a little bit of concern late last night because I think they had heard leading up to this news that there was an expectation that he was going to play. And I think there was a little bit of buzz that started leaking out a little bit and kind of a little bit of panic that, okay, why is he not playing? Why, what would lead him to be ramping up about ready to, to suit up and take the floor and then randomly be walking into an an arena on crutches. Like there's, there's no explanation for that outside of bad news. And I think they were kind of anticipating bad news. And then this is the bad news that ended up trickling out. So, I mean, it's, it's, it is, it's devastating for a kid that's dealt with injury issues throughout his entire career. Um, you know, all leg injury relate, uh, leg related injuries that he's been dealing with, you know, foot, plantar fasciitis, um, you know, this ankle, lower leg type deal. And now with his, this hamstring, it just feels like this dude just can't escape some of these leg issues. And it sucks. Like I feel bad for him because he, he did have this significant role in this team and he was going to make an impact on this roster. And, uh, now I guess we got to kind of think of what's next, Sean. And, and uh, I guess the next question is well, who's up next, who, who replaces him? And I know the automatic answer is, is Dante Allen because, you know, he, he played last night and uh, I think he did a lot of things pretty well. He he struggled in some areas as he has done in the past. I think he did a lot of great things uh, last night against Robert Morris, but, Sean, I think the conversation starts with the big uh, elephant in the room. Is Shaden Sharp going to play for Kentucky basketball this season? And I think that with C.J. Frederick now out for the year, there's a very clear uh, opportunity for a guy like Shaden Sharp to come in and play and, and kind of insert himself into the you know in terms of scoring, that there's a very clear role for him now on this roster and and now that he's enrolled or he's he's signed sealed delivered he's going to be enrolling um in, in january sean this this news leads me to believe that we're going to see shade and sharp take the floor this season
1: i think it definitely puts uh, puts more likelihood that we do see him this season now that frederick's going to be out but you mentioned dante allen there a moment ago too i i could see him getting some extra opportunities but i think ultimately between November and December, I think that this means that Davion Mintz's role just became even larger. Uh, And I think that's going to be the guy that kind of has to step in and take those minutes. But I I am with you. And now that there's an extra spot there, uh, you're kind of waiting to see what happens with Dante Allen, if if Cal's going to give him more opportunities, or if Cal's going to say, hey, look, he's not there defensively. He's not up to par with that side of his game. and Sharp, you're adding the number one – the consensus number one player in the country to your roster in the midseason. If he can help, Jack, and he comes in and he's just that good right away and there's a spot, I I think now you, this is more likely that you do see him than what it would have been. If, if Frederick was there and playing those minutes, I think it was going to be too complicated to kind of keep everyone happy. But now that this has happened – this logjam in the backcourt's really no longer a logjam when you think about it.
0: Yeah, I think it's a clear. I, I think it's clear what Kentucky's rotation is. And and so here's the deal. I talked to Shaden's mentor and coach, Dwayne Washington. It's his coach at the team you play with uh, on the EYBL circuit, uh, a guy that has called a lot of big shots in this recruitment. And, and he was the one that initiated the first phone call with John Calipari and said, hey, I have a kid that you need on your team, uh, and we got to make this thing happen. And, and Cal offered him a scholarship without even watching him play a single time uh, because he trusts that relationship that he has w- built up with, with Dwayne Washington and, uh, just in the past. So there's, there's this is a relationship that's gone on for a while, and I was talking to this guy who's, who's a very impactful voice in this kid's life, and uh, he said he is coming in 100% to practice. He's not going there to play. He's not uh, you know going to rush himself into anything. Cal's not going to rush him into anything. But if Cal calls his number, he will be ready. He will play this year if if Cal wants him to play. This this is not something that he's going to come in and kind of force his way into the rotation and say, I don't care what you guys want. This is going to be a me thing. I want to get my name out there and kind of shoot up my you know draft stock and those sorts of things. This is not the case. This is a kid that just wants to come in and develop himself and help the team however he can in the immediate term and then in the long term develop uh, himself for you know the 2022 2023 season because uh, it has been determined that he will not be eligible for the 2022 uh, NBA draft so uh, this is this is a, about dev- a development year this is a development semester for him but if there's a very clear role for him he's very capable as a basketball player and if cal sees that and, and he goes man we need a, we need that scoring punch we need somebody to come in and and give us that you know shooting burst or uh, just kind of that that effort on on defense or whatever the case is. Shaden's that guy. And and I wouldn't be shocked now that CJ is out for the year and you don't have to kind of plan for future playing time for him, whatever the case is. I just I, I just look at this and I go, Shaden is very capable as is. And he might not be the final product that Cal's hoping for. And that's going to be kind of for next year. But But, Sean, I I don't see a single downside to him playing this semester if even in spot minutes. If he plays 10, 15 minutes a game, what is that hurting in the long term?
1: I I think that when it comes down to it, I think Cal will make the best decision for all parties involved. And if he sees that it's best for Shaden to be out there and he's ready to be out there, I think that Shaden will be out there. But I just think that Cal is going to look at this thing and and kind of – Play it by ear and see how it goes there early in SEC play. Let's see how the team's doing. Let's see what kind of trend they're on. But if Shaden's winning those battles in practice, and we fully expect Shaden Sharp to be like, here's the thing. Shaden Sharp is going to be ready to play at the college basketball level in January and next November. Like he's that caliber of player. He's the consensus number one player in the country for a reason. He's going to step right in and be able to hold his own and do some things that I think that these guards in the Kentucky backcourt right now can't do. And that that's going to be a difference maker that's going to help them in practice. And if they see that that can help them in games, then I could see Shaden Sharp definitely playing for Kentucky this year. I, I was of the belief that it wasn't going to happen, but now with the news of C.J. Frederick, I think it is more likely that at least Cal starts to entertain that thought and that idea. But, you know, you know Shaden gets here in January, Jack. Now Kentucky just had, Kentucky has to make it through November and December. Now this schedule November, it's okay. I don't see Kentucky losing any of these games. You get in December, you're on a road trip to Notre Dame. You've got Ohio State. You've got Louisville. You've got games there, an SEC game there in late December. Kentucky's going to be fine, though, even with the news of Frederick, because this is where the, the return of Davion Mets is just – it now makes sense. It makes so much more sense now than it did in July. And I know I've talked about that in the last few weeks, too, that you kind of just see a long jam here at backcourt and the guards and how's Cal going to keep everybody happy. Not saying that an injury to C.J. Frederick has made things easier for John Calipari, but I think what it's done is it's kind of going to help Kentucky to identify roles a little bit easier, maybe sooner than what we thought it was going to happen because this this backcourt, is still solid.
0: Yeah, I think that was my biggest question after the Duke game is where does Davion Mintz fit into this whole equation? Because I thought it was pretty clear that he had a, a spot on this team and he had a, a spot on this roster – but where in the rotation but where does he fit in terms of role is he is he that spark plug guy is he kind of an enforcer a defensive kind of bulldog that's going to come in and and, uh, you know kind of give you some grinded out minutes or you know like what what is his role exactly going to be Uh, and I kind of got a little bit worried because you know it it kind of got that that feel of every time he came in he would just try to get up some shots as quick as possible because you never know when knew when he was going to get pulled and and uh, it, you know it's just a guy that had such a significant role last year it's it's kind of hard to ask that same person to take a back seat a year later and this i think you know it's as unfortunate as it is for for CJ i think that this allows him to have that clear concise you know exactly what your role is every time you come in the game and i think he he showed that last night uh, it, it, i guess that's kind of the best thing in all this is we haven't seen CJ play at all yet so what we've seen on the floor right now, UK has already competed against Duke at oh. college basketball's biggest stage, and they already beat the absolute hell out of Robert Morris. It, it, it's not You're like seeing that depth something. play off. Yeah. You're
1: seeing that depth pay off now. All that depth that we talked about was like, how in the world is Cal going to keep all these guys healthy? Like, We don't know what's going on with Jacob Toppin right now. Like, We have no idea. Cal said an MRI, so that kind of remains to be seen exactly what the extent of that injury is. We know he played versus Duke. He did not play last night. Lance Wears banged up, didn't play last night. So that's where these guys like Bryce Hopkins and Damian Collins and the Davion Mets, these other bodies, all this collection. This was a very good year for Cal to say, hey, I'm filling my scholarships. Yeah. And then bringing a guy like Shady Sharp in early. This was not the year to mess around because, you, I mean, look, if it had been like one of these normal years where he's got 10, 11 scholarship guys, they're playing seven guys right now. And that's it. If they If they didn't have all this depth of talent. So you're seeing this depth pay off pay off now, and, and that's a really good thing.
0: Yeah, I think it's uh, it's it's a great sign. I think last night was so needed for this program. And, and let's let's kind of transition into the game itself. I thought. Last night's 160 victory over Robert Morris at Rupp Arena was exactly what the fan base needed. I think it's exactly what this team needed. I think it's what the coaching staff needed to just kind of see. It's like that that shooter's mentality. You just got to see the ball fall through the hoop one time to kind of get that resurgence back, to kind of get that momentum back. And I think that after last season left such a bad taste in everybody's mouth, the fan base, the players, the coaches, everybody associated with the program, everybody. I think after such a difficult season, they just needed to, to, to see an absolute butt whooping. They needed to go out there and see, okay, this is what Kentucky basketball is. This is what we've been this whole time. We lost kind of sight of that for a minute, and there were adversities that that kind of we weren't in control of. But we needed that punch in the face to college basketball that said, okay, here we go. This is what we need. This is, this is who we actually are at the end of the day. And, you know, we got the full, the, you know, Rupp Arena crowd. We got to see the eruption from them, and, and at UK's brightest moments and most explosive highlights, like it felt like normal again. And I think that was something that this this team desperately needed right now. And I think it was something the fan base needed as well.
1: Absolutely, and I think the announced attendance was a little over 18,000. I was—I kind of looked at that place last night and I was like, I don't know if there's 18,000 in here or not, but the, the fans were loud. You got to see the ball going through the net. Kentucky hit the century mark for the first time in a very long time. What, 2017, I believe, was the last time they scored 100 points in a game? I think so. Uh, you, saw the three, you saw the three ball going, you, and I told you upstairs last night, you asked me, what is the main takeaway? From this, And my main takeaway, and I told you, I said, I didn't think that they necessarily needed to bounce back from Duke because Duke didn't necessarily destroy Kentucky. Kentucky had a lead. They just couldn't match the physicality for 40 minutes that Duke had at multiple positions or the talent with two guys. But so I didn't feel like it was a big bounce back thing, but it was so encouraging to see a team full of veteran leaders take it for what it was. Duke was one game out of 40 possible games. And then last night was game two. I think that that's what you're going to get with this team. They're going to lose some games here and there. And they're going to be able to bounce back quickly and kind of regroup and then move on to the next game. And you saw that. And you saw it across the stat sheet. It was a collective effort. Damian Collins had himself tonight. Oscar Chibwe, Kellen Grady shot the ball well. Xavier Wheeler, 12 assists, zero turnovers in only 23 minutes. That goes right back into what I was saying in the preseason. He's going to lead the league in assists again, but it's going to be more efficient. And he's probably going to play fewer minutes doing it. And that's what I take away from last night is you had so many guys play very well just a couple of days after a trip to New York and a loss to Duke where that could have been deflating for some, not for a group that's full of veterans and guys with juniors and seniors on this roster that, that pays off dividends right there. From just having that experience.
0: And I, and I, that's kind of what I struggled with last night when I was asking you what the biggest takeaway was, because There were so many individual storylines that were kind of intriguing. Like you go Damian Collins, you know, that's kind of one of the bigger ones. Damian Collins goes from getting two minutes. I mean, I think it was like a minute 25 or something ridiculous against Duke. Very clearly not ready for that spotlight and that kind of competition. Uh, so that was admittedly a an expectation hit for for him for me. Like I, I after that Duke game, I was like, all right, yeah, he's not going to be ready anytime soon. And then he goes out there and looks very capable. Again, lack of competition, not the same size and strength and length and all that stuff. I, I get that, but very clearly more comfortable in his role. And uh, and I I thought it was a phenomenal performance.
1: Oh, you could have you could have written like ten different stories last night. Yeah. Like, you could have written about Kellen Grady, who I think is just going to be Mr. Consistent. They, they've got to fund him. To me, he's a guy that there needs to be some wrinkles within this offensive system where they go four or five looks for him a game just to get him a look. Because he's going to get his own out of Sabier Wheeler getting downhill, but you want to call his number four or five times itself. You have Oscar Chibwee breaking records. I mean, we're talking stuff, Jack, that hasn't been done at Kentucky in a long time, hasn't been done in college basketball in a long time. Uh, going to probably lead the country in rebounds at this clip that he's on right now. And then you could throw in Xavier Wheeler, a perfect night. 12 assists, no turnovers. You want to talk Davion Mintz being four, for, uh, four or five from three-point range, four second half threes. The list goes on and on. Like, there was so much to write about last night, but that's why I came back to the one common denominator. And I said this a few weeks ago on this show. I think it's going to be a, be a by-committee thing for this Kentucky team this year. I think it's going to be a collective effort where they have really good players. We know that Ty Ty Washington has that high-end potential to be a star. But for the most part, I think it's going to have to be all hands on deck and a collective thing, and you saw that last night.
0: Well, that was my biggest takeaway from the Duke game, is that that game showed that there's no way that every single player on the roster – because there's so many – yeah, there may not be very many great, like, superstar-level talents on this roster – but there are so many very good players that do a do so many very good things that it's impossible to have ten or 11, so eleven players now that that CJ's out for the year. Eleven players any given night that just just can't produce. There's there's no way that that you're gonna have all of your shooters go cold or all of your front court depth go stale or you, you know all of your playmakers to turn the ball over every time they go down the floor. Like there's just. The recipe there's there's such an abundance of talent that even on a bad shooting night, like we talked about last night, you're still going to get seven, eight, ten makes from deep. Like there's there's just so much help across the board that it's really tough to see Kentucky losing to any. Like I, I guess losing is one thing; they're going to lose games, but crapping the bed against any team, I don't think that this team has that in them. I don't know if there's if if a, a team this deep and talented up top and, and just kind of a thorough roster from top to bottom, I, there's just no way that, that you could look at that well, and go, yep, yeah, that team can get, their, get you know, blown out any given night. There's just no way.
1: No, and, and in years past you knew if, if a certain player was off, Kentucky was going to struggle. Like, they, they've had teams like that. But with this one – and, and that, I still think that's the case against elite teams. Like, they need Tata Washington to be elite to beat Duke or to probably beat some of these other teams like Gonzaga or someone that's in that top five. But I think for the most part, though, this roster and its depth and its consistency with multiple people, that's going to be somebody different every single night. That is going to be good enough to win probably 90% of the games on the schedule. But to beat those elite teams and to do something special – they're going to need their guys like Ty Ty Washington or Oscar Sheepway to be very, very good on those nights. But that's, that's like 98, 99% of college basketball teams, right? Yeah. That their best guy has to be good enough to, to win a national championship. But I, I just think you're going to see this roster. We're going to be writing a lot of different stories as this year goes along. And as they get into SEC play, this step's just going to continue to flex its muscles. I think they have a lot of high caliber players that can play quality minutes. And that's not something that a lot of teams have,
0: Yeah, I mean, think of pa- if Duke doesn't have Paolo, if he gets in foul trouble or he's out for a very a long, extended period of time, do they have the other pieces to make up for it? I'm still not convinced that to be the case. I, I don't think their bench is strong enough. I think that was there's a reason that it was a a basically two on five game where it was it was Trevor Keels and, and Paolo basically taking on the entire Kentucky roster and just beating them head-to-head and and those type of teams what what is Gonzaga without Chet Holmgren what is Tennessee without Kennedy Chandler what you know those those type of of things Kentucky doesn't have a single player on that roster maybe Oscar Sheboy is probably the closest thing to it if Oscar's in early foul trouble who is that replacement guy but as we saw against uh, against Duke the Kentucky front court they're able to adjust you know if if Keon struggling Jacob Toppin can come in or Lance Ware can come in or or you know Bryce Hopkins can play that versatile you know small ball four role or whatever like there's there are interchangeable pieces there that it would take a a very significant hit but but there's still enough kind of secondary talent on this roster to to compensate for it at least somewhat maybe not all the way but at least slightly and then you expect your guards to be better than any other guard guard group in college basketball. So I I think that's where that optimism comes from.
1: And the one thing, too, that they still have to identify to me. So we're we're talking about all this depth and all the bodies and options that they have. And and that's going to be really, really good. Like I said, it's going to win you probably 90% of your games. They still got to identify, though, those crunch moments under four. Let's say you're down a basket. You need a bucket. Who are you going to? And I think that's the stuff that's kind of going to play itself out. I don't see that playing itself out in November. I think that that's going to play itself out in those December games against on the, on the road at Notre Dame, Ohio State, Louisville, and then early in SEC play. They're going to find out who their closers are. Like, who's the guy that you want the, the ball in their hands late in the game? Are they going to be able to have a post presence? Are they going to be able to get something at Oscar Chibwe on the block if they need to? Is that a key on Brooks that gets that opportunity? On the block, Do they oscillate Ty tie Washington or is it, is it Kellen Grady slashing and coming off some, some screen, some of that floppy action that Kentucky's been so good at over the years? I think that's where we're going to have to see some questions answered later in the season because I just don't see them being in situations over the next month that's really going to say, okay, who does our closer today? Like who do we need to go to here mm-hmm. in this situation? I, I just think situational basketball, we're going to have to wait a bit. But right now it's going to be about adding to this depth getting multiple guys playing well, getting multiple guys comfortable, especially Damian Collins. Cal said it last night, Jack. He has to play, and I agree with it 100%. Even, even if they meet up with Duke again or someone that has a physical presence, I still think you have to play him and just live with it because his length, it affects the game. He affects the game in ways that other guys on this roster cannot.
0: I mean, think of his highlight. The, the, at his biggest highlight plays – were the biggest kind of momentum and the game was never going to be close. I mean, it was close to start with, and they they fought a little bit and made some some threes, but this was always going to be a 20 to 30 to 40 point win at the end of the day. But at the peak of the Rupp Arena explosion, at the peak of the excitement and the, and the the players buying in and celebrating with them was Damian Collins and his freakish athleticism and and his, you know, the alley-oops that he threw down and, Uh, obviously that his massive Duncan transition was the thing that just kind of took the absolute roof off the place. But uh, like those type of things, you can't teach that athleticism. You can't teach that length. Uh, Some of those, those second and third jump attempts on, on his, some of those blocks that he had were just unbelievable. And that's, that's that uh, you you talked to Jay Lucas a couple weeks ago and and he talked about, I guess it was just like a week, a week and a half ago. He talked about, Uh, you you know how Damien's like this blank slate like he's this piece of clay that you just look at him and he's like you know you know that he's not ready yet right this minute but man when he finally puts it all together and I I think that's what these games are so crucial for uh, that this team last year just didn't get it was such a gauntlet from day one and they really didn't have any gimmies on the roster I mean it was they had their Richmond game and they had the uh, Moorhead State game to start the year, and then from there, I mean, it was literally just big name, big name, big name, one after the other, going on these random trips to go to these different events, and so on and so forth. And they never got that chance to like BJ Boston never got his chance to have a 30 point explosion game where he could just go out there and let loose a little bit. And like, it, it was imagine the struggles that Ty Ty had game one against Duke. Imagine if Kentucky had followed that up with. Uh, uh, their trip to Notre Dame. And then after that, their trip to the CBS Classic to play um, Ohio State. You know, if it was back-to-back-to-back, maybe he wouldn't get that looseness and that that just feel for college basketball. Sometimes, Sean, you just got to go beat the hell out of somebody. Sometimes you just got to see the ball fall through the hoop. You just got to go beat a team really bad, and Kentucky didn't get that last season.
1: No, they didn't. And this is probably – I don't know what made me think of this, but I I thought of it on the way home last night. And I don't know how – I don't know when you started watching UK basketball or how dated you are on on the history of it or what teams you followed first. But – and maybe this isn't a good comparison. It it probably is too early. And I I don't want to say that they're of the caliber, but the the pieces and just the collection kind of remind me of some of Tubby's teams there early in the 2000s, like the – the group, I think, uh, after Tayshawn Prince left with Cliff Hawkins at point, Gerald Fitch, Eric Daniels, Chuck Hayes, Clint Ozabuki. Like, there weren't those guys on that team that were just clear-cut stars. But they had a really good collection of great players that their individual job very, very well. And I think that this team has those guys. But you also saw when it come down to the end of the year, you know, Keith Bogans had the, the ankle injury and everything there, and then he – and stuff late in the season, and it cost them, I know, uh, some games. But I could see this team being kind of a similar mold that reminds me of those teams, where you still got your dudes that you know who they are, and I think Tata's still their best option at guard. And I think that's your star in the making at some point this season. But you've also got some pretty good dudes that are pretty damn good, job, ugh, pretty damn good at their job across this roster. Oscar Sheebly going to clean the glass. I think they have potential with some two or three guys that can defend their position very well. Sabir Wheeler setting the table with assists. You have your shooters. They're really good in three areas. Now, to me, if this team can reach elite defensive level status, the way Oscar Chibwe is rebounding the basketball, if they can limit teams to one shot and done and they're elite in defense, then this team has the potential in the ceiling to be really freaking good.
0: Yeah, I think that's – I think you hit the nail on the head. I think that's where that excitement comes from. It's it's that there's no one player that this team relies on as your as your make-or-break type player on the roster. There's not a single guy that you have to say, okay, he has to put up 30 points this game for Kentucky to stay in it. Or, like, it's it's all complementary pieces. It's all things that they, they work together so well and the chemistry so well. I mean, th- think of – after the game last night when Oscar's talking at the podium and Ty-Ty Washington in the back of the – in one of the media seats and Ty-Ty comes out of the locker room and he screams at the top of his lungs, Oscar, you're a legend. You're a beast. And, like, Oscar has this big old <laughs> grin on his face. And there's just such happiness. And and, and Davion Mintz, he leaves the podium and, and Davion says, my man, you're a beast. You are a beast, Oscar. Like – Little things like it's that. In,
1: it's infectious. Yeah. It's infectious is what it is. When, when you play the game at a level that is so hard and you see a teammate that's beside you playing his absolute hardest going for rebounds, or you see Xavier Wheeler playing in the plays, it's infectious. And it's those guys that are energy starters. They don't have to be the best player on their team, but they can certainly be the most important because that's what ignites the fire. And if you get it going – and you just ignite it, and you got a little spark going, and that first flame pops up, next thing you know, the whole thing's engulfed. And if this team reaches that status to where they're so bought in and everyone is throwing something on the fire, then I think this team can be very, very good. I I think this is going to be a team that when we look up at the end of the year, they're going to be one of the most consistent teams in college basketball that's going to be in contention for a one-two top three seed. I really fully believe that but they need some wins in the non-conference to kind of uh, set the tone before they get into SEC play. SEC play is going to be brutal. But man, they, they've got a lot of pieces, Jack, They just have experience. And I think for the most part they have guys that really don't care what the role is right now. They just want to win.
0: Yeah. I go back to last season and hearing of, you know, all the things going on behind the scenes and all the drama and the how, how we heard that, the, the, the team kind of clicked off from day one, where a couple players kind of grouped together at the beginning, and then another couple grouped together, and there was just so much isolation just in general because of COVID. But the the team itself just it, there just was not good chemistry at all. And I thought it was really telling that this summer, when the preseason practices started, you know, I talked to different people from top to bottom within the the organization within the program, and the, the only thing you, you'd say, you know, okay, who's who's the biggest surprise here? Who's who's the one guy that's going to be the superstar? You'd ask those type of questions, and every single time it would go back to, man, it doesn't even matter because the chemistry is so good. It, that stuff doesn't even matter. Like, and, and you kind of got that sense like, okay, so is there not a superstar on this team? Is there not a major surprise? And then you started getting word of, you know, Bryce Hopkins being – uh, a big surprise, and Ty Ty Washington kind of emerging as that guy. But the very early impression was, man, the team synergy and the the overall chemistry is night and day difference between la- last year and this year. And I think it's telling. I, like you said, it's contagious. It's an infectious thing that I, I think has has kind of leaked into the entire roster from top, top to bottom. There's just pure love. Like, I, I go to Ty Ty. Ty Ty's a guy that everybody hyped up to be the superstar. And he's had, you know, 19 points in his first two games combined. And he hasn't shot all that well. He, he, he had a very solid game against Robert Morris. Like, I, I was impressed with what we saw. But he, not, he hasn't had his 25-point breakthrough game where he hits five threes from deep and, and you know, go, just goes ballistic. Like, we haven't had that moment. But, Sean, what was the one thing you noticed about Ty Ty all game long against Robert Morris? He had his arm around somebody. He was yelling up into the audience and, and throwing his hands up in the air going, yeah, get louder, get louder. He's that and then you see talent. his,
1: then you see his dad tweet out the exact same message. You know, it's not about your individual stats. It could tell, you go to Kentucky to win. And he tweeted that this morning, and I, I thought that was very encouraging to see. I, I, I literally think that this is a team that they don't care. And, I, and you can see already how much they love one another. And that's something that these teams usually, they, they start finding that in late December, early January. Now, look, and I don't want to seem like we're overreacting to a 40-point win versus Robert Morris. This team certainly has things to work on to get where they want to go. But the foundation is there for this team to kind of be on track a little bit ahead of what John Calipari teams are. And I, that's where I was coming from earlier this week. I didn't get to do source of say with you after Duke. But my message would have been it's one game. And I tweeted it that night. That loss changed nothing about how I view this team. Are there teams I think right now in college basketball better than Kentucky? Yes. But I think there's very few. Do those teams have the same ceiling that Kentucky has? I don't know. I think Kentucky has a high ceiling that they're gonna they're gonna figure some things out. Like I said, who's the guy that they need to play through late in games? But for the most part, the one thing that I think that this team needs to key in on become an elite defensive team. And the rest takes care of itself because this team is going to naturally score points because they have so many shooters and guys that can do and, and do those things offensively and put the ball in the basket. If they can buy in and be elite defensively as a unit, this could be a very, very good team.
0: Yeah. I think it's a, a very high floor, high ceiling type team where you saw if they're not hitting shots against Duke, if they're, if Ty Ty Washington struggles to get the ball in the hoop and, and there's, you know, front court depth is an issue, and defense is an issue. Those type of things, you're still competing against Duke, who's who's seen as a a true national title contender. And that's why, Sean, you you brought that up about after the Duke game, where you, nothing changed for you. If anything, I think I was a little bit more optimistic about about UK's long term success and and there, consistency after Duke.
1: There were people that went into that game that thought Duke was going to beat Kentucky by twenty plus. Yeah. Like, there were a few people that thought that. Like, I I had it in Twitter replies when I do the score predictions. And and I was like, I just don't – I don't think that this team's going to get blown out by anyone at any point this season because they have too many dudes that can put the ball in the basket. But that's where I'm coming from that if that's where they were on the first night where they had so many guys hurt, and they're still hurt. The the unfortunate news was C.J. Frederick today. Jacob Toppin obviously still battling something. Lance Ware, we know since that open practice, has been banged up. I mean, they have multiple guys that, that have been out. They're not at full strength. Uh, they're still figuring out how to play with one another. But, like I said, this team is going to score points with ease. But if they can identify maybe a low post threat, and that's what John Calipari keeps coming to. And to me, it doesn't have to be something that they do in the post for 50% of the time. When you need it, you just got to be able to go to it and the well not be dry. And that's what Kentucky needs from Oscar or somebody to develop a low post game there. If they can do that, and then they can be really good defensively. And I'm talking just pack that thing in, be, be connected as a unit, be in good help, have good energy on the ball with Sawyer Wheeler, find some elite rim protection back there. If it's Damian Collins, if he plays 15 to 20 minutes, he can provide that. Oscar's a big body. It's going to clean up every single miss. This team has all the potential to be very good.
0: Yeah, my, my optimism, like you said, this is not a we're overreacting to a 40 point win against Robert Morris to open the season. We're saying that some of our our expectations and the things we thought going into the season have been justified and made clear in the first two games. And some of the flaws that we kind of thought about this team, like like I've said on the show, I didn't know about the uh, high end potential of Oscar Shedway. I didn't think that he was going to be anything more than an eight and eight, maybe eight and ten, 10 12 and 10 maybe on a, on a great night, th- those type of games. I never in a million years thought that we'd be getting this type of just consistent, unbelievable production that we've seen out of out of Oscar. We've seen him against the best of the best competition. Literally, he did that against the best front court in college basketball in, in Dukes. And then he follows it up with another just as impressive performance against Robert Morris. And I think those type of things, it feels like our expectations that we had going into the year have been justified. And now uh, it's just kind of a little nitpicky thing it not like last year, it was, it was such big, like, what do you do about the point guard position? Like, those type of big, big questions, I have none on this roster. I think that there's uh, – there, every, every little kind of gripe that we have, it's all nitpicky. And I think that's the, that's the makings and, and recipe for a, a very successful team.
1: It is. And uh, I agree with you 100% everything that you said there. With, with Oscar, it's a mindset. I've, I've always told kids that I coach that, that rebounding and defense is all I want to. Like, it, it doesn't take a ton of skill to rebound. It's just a mindset. You get, your, you get that thing in your mind that you're going and getting that thing with two hands, and now they are teaching, teaching him some technique. You know, John Calipari talked about that post game about not pushing in the back, that going and get the ball at the highest point and, and rebounding uh, with two hands and, and things like that. They're teaching those techniques, and you're seeing that pay off. But Oscar has this mindset right now that every rebound that comes off that rim or that glass gets his. regardless of which end of the floor they're on, if it's on the offensive end or the defensive end. And he's had that mindset for a while. He told us at media day, I want to average 20 rebounds a game. And I think we all were like, okay, cool, maybe he'll get there a game or two. Well, he's already done it twice. But it's all a mindset. And if this team gets that same mindset defensively, then I think that they can be good. And then Savir Wheeler, like I said, 12 assists, zero turnovers in 23 minutes. Like, that's the efficiency that I saw him playing with at Kentucky. He's not getting that efficiency somewhere at Georgia because the players around him aren't as good as the guys at Kentucky. Savir Wheeler at Kentucky is going to be a very efficient player when he plays under control and this team continues to find out who they are. I think late in that Duke game he got tired, like Cal said, and then it came down to Ty Ty wasn't himself. Uh, they were looking for offense, trying to get baskets, and he tried to do a little too much. Last night, he did exactly what he needs to do. I think he also got four steals, if I'm not mistaken, Jack. Is that correct on that number? For he him, I believe. finished with three steals. Okay. The official box score has four right here. That Even better. Out. Even better. Well, did you notice that the official that the box score late last night said 11 assists, and then they gave it 12th?
0: They did. He gave him a 12th. So, that, that might have been the updated one. I, I think I'm looking Actually, at it.
1: Actually, sorry, correct correction my fault that's the season totals he's got four for the season I'm sorry so it was three last night
0: but 12 assists three steals uh no turnovers only two fouls two of seven shooting but like you said I thought it was I think this performance was more impressive than what we saw against Duke and and what he did against Duke I thought was unbelievable even though he, he he got sloppy late and the turnovers kind of cost him late but I thought he was phenomenal against Duke. I just thought he was even better against Robert Morris. I think you, you don't need him to score 15, 20 points a game for him to be successful. No. What he did against Robert Morris is what this team needs.
1: 22 assists, seven turnovers through two games. We'll take Seven it. of those turnovers were in game one. So that right there, you want to see that, that differential. You want to see that high assist, low turnover ratio. Uh, but the fact that he's – also getting steals too it kind of cancels out some of those possessions that he will give up in Thompson.
0: yeah and I do want before we kind of wrap things up uh, you you talked about Oscar's mindset Sean he gave one of the coolest quotes that I've heard in a really <laughs> long time he gave a bunch we talked about it a bunch after the game and we laughed so hard because God he's he's probably the most lovable freaking human being I've come in contact with in such a long time I mean he's just phenomenal so uh, one of the reporters asked him after the game they said so is it a, a preparation thing with you rebounding? He said, no, it's not preparation. He said, there used to be this man in the NBA. His name was Dennis Rodman. You guys might you guys might know him, <laughs> which, <laughs> yeah, quite familiar, actually. Uh, and then he says, I watched that dude. He did not care about scoring. The NBA didn't pay him to have crazy 20, 40-point nights. They paid him to go rebound and do a lot of things. Rebounding is going to help your team. I have that mentality. I'm going to. I'm getting better on offense under Coach Calipari. He wants me to get better, but rebounding is the one thing I know nobody can stop me from getting. I can get that anytime I want. I don't care how tall you are. If you think you can box me out, it's going to be a fight. It's going to be a real fight. Like, yep. what a quote, man! Like, it's it's like he's a one of the most likable human beings that I've come in contact with in a very long time you- covering
1: this, but. Man. You read that, and I heard his voice the entire time you read that. <laughs> like, and just his energy, his smile. He's, I told you last night we're standing downstairs there in the media room, and I said, I think he might possibly be my favorite player that I've ever had at Kentucky or covered at Kentucky. Like, that dude is just so infectious. He makes you feel so much better about your day and what you're doing. And, man, how can you – got to pull for that guy. Like, he's a gentle giant. But yeah. when he's out on the floor, he doesn't care who has the ball. If it's Keon Brooks, Oscar's like, "Give me that thing." Meanwhile, the the record at Rupp Arena for rebounds in a game is Shaquille O'Neal with twenty-one. That thing's going down.
0: Oh, that's 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 shattered. Tuesday, Tuesday against Mount St. Mary's, bet the over on that sucker because I, I haven't seen their <laughs> roster yet. But you tell me that 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 Oscar Sheway's not getting that twenty-one rebound total against Mount St. Mary's, you're crazy.
1: And the old, and you know what? The thing that's gonna hurt is rebounding total? Kentucky's got dudes that are gonna put the ball through the basket. So there's not gonna be as many offensive rebounding opportunities. So imagine if this team wasn't a good shooting team, how many rebounds he'd have.
0: That's true. Goodness. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And and the the sweet part of all of this is, and we've talked about it when he committed and, and kind of the backstory of uh, that to be totally frank, the decision for him to go to West Virginia was really not his. It was The decision was made for him, and he's never been happy with his decision to go to West Virginia. And uh, I wrote a story back in June when he talked to the media. He had a quote uh, back then that he said, when it came time to sign, I don't know where my mind was. I was always like, even when I played for West Virginia, I wish I could play for Kentucky. That was my dream school. My mom didn't like that. She was like, why didn't you make your move the first time? Then he said, God said, you're crying too much. It's time to go. So I said, mom, I'm getting my stuff and I'm going. If, if she was like, if that's where you feel you can be happy, then you need to go. She was happy with that. Everyone at home thought I made a good move. And then fast forward seven, eight months, 10 months, whatever it's been. Yeah, I guess it's been 10 months since he committed to Kentucky. He's now breaking every single record in the, in the rebounding book and, and putting you know, making a name for himself. Last night after the game, I, I just put the story up talking about it um, he talked about all he wanted to do is make, make a name for himself. He said, I told people from the beginning, I want to be remembered one. I want my name to be remembered one day. Like that's Oscar. He did it. That's why I'm here. And it's just like, yeah. this, this kid's story is just so powerful. And so, so like th- it's impossible not to root for him. I, like I I've had Duke fans reach out to me. I've had, you know, rival Louisville fans, whatever, Every single one of them is like, man, there's nothing that you can dislike about Oscar Sheepway. He's just that wholesome, that lovable of a human being. And it's it's a joy that – it's a pleasure that we we have the opportunity to cover him, Sean.
1: Yep, it is. And uh, it's going to be a fun year for sure. There's a lot of personalities on this team. A lot of guys that are just – it's easy to pull for them. It's easy to pull for Davion Mintz. It's easy to pull for Oscar Sheepway, Xavier, all these guys. And when they're easy to pull for – it's much more enjoyable, and those are the teams that Kentucky fans fall in love with.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a fun ride, Sean, and it's been a, a an interesting start. And uh, I'm I'm glad that we kind of get the ball rolling. We have another game Tuesday night against Mount St. Mary's, and then another on Friday. And you know, it's it's we're going to start getting to that rapid fire. Uh, Every single day there's at least something going on with, between the end of football season, between basketball, between media opportunities with basketball and so on and so forth. So we have a, a lot of stuff to talk about, a lot of things to, to get a, you know, vent about a little bit like we, like we do on the show and a, a lot, a lot of fun coming, Sean.
1: Absolutely. Can't wait for it. Where can fans find your work? You can find my work at gobigbluecountry.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at GBB country.
0: You can find me on Twitter as well at Jack Pilgrim KSR. Reach out to me via email at jpilgrim at KentuckySportsRadio.com. With that, we'll be back next time for another jam packed Sports to Save podcast. We will see you then.